Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. everybody it is monday april 20th 420 go ahead tony you know you want to what do i want to do what do you mean um your extracurricular alternative plans for the today did they end up coming to fruition to coming to taglines as soon as we start the show I mean, we usually shoot the snuffleupagus to start the show anyway. And given the day that it is, on a scale of Matt Riddle to Rob Van Dam to Cheech and Chong, where are you at right about now? I mean, I feel like those three are all equivalent. Um, Van Dam's more of a mellow. We've just started. Anywho, I won't keep you from your activities for long because – This is not going to be a traditional episode of the show. Oh, I should mention what the show is. Welcome to the reaction for April 20th, 2020. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero. Yo. And we have a decent amount to get to, given the fact that we missed last week. 
My bad. I mentioned it in the show description. I'll say it again now. I got a hatchet jobbed by a pepperoni roll. I ended up catching a case of food poisoning that put me on my ass for two days. Feeling better now, thankfully. I did not catch the Rona, so I have that going for me, which is nice. How are things out there in uh, in Cali, Tony? Everybody staying safe? As safe as one could. I mean, metaphorically not metaphorically speaking. No, not metaphorically speaking. Generally speaking. <laughs> it's been a long week, Tony. What do you want from me? Yeah, generally speaking, I... everybody. Generally speaking, everybody okay though. How's out? How's the bar staff doing? Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, we're going through. Um, <laughs> we're getting through it <laughs> positively. Any hope for the state opening up anytime soon? I know that the original planned hope for opening up date was May 1st. Do you think that that's going to happen out in California, or do you think you're going to have some kind of extended lockdown? They announced today that it's probably going to get extended here in Ohio. So, I mean, I I can't talk about this without digging deep into it, and that's not what this show is about. But uh, if I were to summarize it, I I would say I have no strong desire for us to open up anytime soon if it means it's going to cause this problem to last longer than it should. That's fair. We'll keep it nice and succinct for your thoughts on the matter. So I named tonight's episode (laughs) I named tonight's episode of the show Money in the Building because Tony we loved the uh, the cinematic matches at WrestleMania. Well, we loved two out of the three of them. We thought Edge and Orton was too long, but other than that, we thought it was okay. it was okay, just too long. We loved the Boneyard match. We loved the Firefly Funhouse match. And it seems that the WWE is going to be going back to that well with the most unique Money in the Bank matches ever, and they are sure to drive that point home to you all. By having the competitors start on the ground floor at Titan Towers and the briefcases are located at the top of the building at Titan Tower, therefore they are literally climbing the corporate ladder at Titan Tower. Well, I'm assuming it would be more of a staircase than a ladder, but still. Wouldn't it be some shit if they set it up where they had to climb ladders inside of it? That would be kind of funny, actually. All right, anywho. Your thoughts on this concept this match concept that they've come up with for Money in the Bank. Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Do you think it works better given the current nature of things and the fact that there can't be audiences? Um, I think it's stupid, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Um, We had no idea what to expect, you know, with the Boneyard match and Edge and Orton. So at the very least, they're trying to do something a little different. Um, it, it, it gives the, I mean, they're trying, you know, it gives it a different spot than the Performance Center, which gives the pay-per-view a, a special feel. I think that was kind of uh-huh. something that was missing from Mania. Um, so, I, at the very least, I'm interested, but, you know, the skeptic in me says it's going to be a horrible, horrible event. Do you have any preferences as to who walks out of Money in the Bank with the respective cases, um, knowing the no, participants right that we know now. Anyway. We still have no. two more participants to announce. We'll find them out this Friday night on SmackDown. Uh, Drew Gulak takes on Cesaro, which should make t- – or not Cesaro. Drew Gulak takes on the other one of Shinsuke in a qualifying <laughs> match. 
<laughs> we like Cesaro on this show. It is what it is. And then there's a women's qualifying match as well, but I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. These shows are kind of running together. Yeah, I wonder if this will all be canon when it's all over. <laughs> we just pretend it doesn't exist. What I'd like to pretend doesn't exist is the fact that Selena's group are basically bitch boys for Drew McIntyre. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, some the more things change, the more things stay the same. That's true. Tonight on Raw, we saw all three members of Zelina's faction in action as Austin Theory lost a Money in the Bank qualifying match to Aleister Black. You're not going to get any complaints from me from that. Aleister is clearly the obvious pick there. Andrade mm-hmm. defeated Akira Tozawa in a non-title match because apparently, despite the fact that they announced him as the United States champion, he has no actual intent of defending said title. And in the main event, Angel Garza got pinned by Drew McIntyre with a Claymore kick in about five minutes, which is about two minutes less than Andrade lasted last week. Andrade picking up the win aside, do you like the fact that they're kind of using a faction in order to carry the in-ring action over on Monday Night Raw? And do you think they should be doing more with said faction to help carry the presentation, like having Zelina at the table and having them actively involved in each other's matches. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, the execution hasn't been all that awesome. They're giving away... I mean, you, you don't make them look like a chunk on the first couple of weeks, and that's kind of what they're doing. Um, but it's, it's to be expected. That's how they assume everybody should be booked. They're, you know, once they have a belt, they can you know, defeat insurmountable odds and beat three people that they couldn't beat maybe two weeks prior. Um, so I wouldn't go with the exact execution, but it's kind of hard to gauge whether they're doing the right or wrong thing without a crowd to, you know, give them that sign. My biggest concern is that this kind of superhero-ish booking for McIntyre is going to give almost a Roman Reigns-like turn from the audience against him in the fact that they're booking him as larger than a group of superstars, much the same way Roman was booked with the Wyatt family and Cena was booked before him with the Nexus. Well, I can safely say that nobody booed him tonight. This is true. That is a factually accurate statement. Nope. We do have new champions to talk about. The New Day are the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions as Big E wins a triple threat match in the main event of Friday Night SmackDown this past week, pinning Miz with the big ending after Jimmy Uso had hit the Superfly Splash on, do we still call it a Superfly? A top rope splash on Miz. Big E threw Jimmy off the cover and then hit the big ending for the win in the titles. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's, it's weird. When it comes to these shows, I'm not saying that nothing matters, but the importance isn't all there. So I've noticed that title switches to me. They're inconsistent, and, you know, especially this one. really didn't do anything one way or the other. Like, I feel like their stories are being half-told, and they've slowed it down a little bit because they didn't know what to do, and now they're back on track of what they were going to originally do. But it's not about not having a crowd. It's just the entire energy behind the the work that's being put in and what's coming out of that work. It just kind of has a 
a lack of energy in it. So when I when when this title switch happened, I wasn't really shocked one way or the other. Do you like the title switch, though? Do you think it was a mistake taking the belts off from Morrison and Miz already? Well, I'm pretty sure I answered that. I, I just I didn't feel one way or another whether it was a, a good mistake or or whether it was a good idea or a bad idea. It just didn't didn't strike any type of chord. It's a nice yeah, I think way it was of saying a... I didn't give a shit. <laughs> See, I didn't like it personally. I think that. I think that you're cutting off Miz and Morrison's reins in order to do a change, in order to try to pop a rating on on TV. Hey, this title changed hands. You never know what's going to happen next week. You might want to tune in because ratings over on for SmackDown are at all-time lows for SmackDown right now. But given circumstances, I'm sure they'll go back up at least somewhat once things return to normal-ish, whenever that may be. It's just an idea of hot-shotting the belts on SmackDown on a, in a triple threat match here that had no business happening in the first place to give you something to talk about from SmackDown Live. And look at you talking about it. Well, I have something else for you to talk about, Tony, that you're not going to want to talk about. Well, then why would we? We now have, use, we have useless <laughs> Samoan women on two shows now. They really did pull a one-two punch on this, didn't they? Tamina and Naya, both back. Tamina pinned Sasha Banks on SmackDown, Tony. Let that sink in. Yeah. <laughs> Tony's about okay, to lose so from a, from a personal standpoint, obviously it's very upsetting, but from a writing standpoint, um, it, it kind of makes sense only because she's basically the challenger of the book. Um, you know, they didn't have anybody else liable. Sasha isn't doing anything right now outside of being Bailey Blackie, and when you fulfill that role, you automatically lose every match you're in. Um, so, it's like, I'm not bothered by it. I'm only I'm not bothered by the story. I'm only bothered by the characters that are involved. Because Tamina's just not the business. See, I would be more okay if this would Naomi and Tamina spot rather than Tamina herself. I like the well, idea yeah, behind the story that they're trying I like the idea behind the story that they're trying to tell here with Sasha as kind of Bailey's underling now after Bailey was Sasha's second for so long in NXT. Mm-hmm. Bailey was always in Sasha's shadow in NXT. Now so- Bailey feels like Sasha is in her shadow without coming out and outright saying it. Because Bailey's the women's champion now. She's the one that has the spotlight. Dana Brooke is in the women's money in the bank match over Naomi. That's a head scratcher. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I I don't know about that one. I like I like Dana Brooke. Okay, let me rephrase that. I like parts of Dana Brooke. Let's mm-hmm. put that on the record. Um, that being said, this Dana Brooke and the Dana Brooke that was Charlotte's underling a couple of years back, there's not much of a difference in terms of in-ring, in-ring content there. I don't see anything special from her in the ring, and I see absolutely no reason to take out somebody like Naomi, whose presence adds a different feel to those, to a Money in the Bank ladder match style match than somebody like a Dana Brooke is going to add. We saw Dana in Money in the Bank last year, and other than the one spot where she was swinging from on top of the ladder, she didn't really do anything else memorable. 
know, I'm kind of torn here because it, like I said earlier, I feel like there's been a pause on the importance of every show um, ever since this, you know, Corona hit. So there's a part of me that feels if you're going to try and give people a chance, then you might want to do it right now. Um, because although these decisions are bothering, you know, us because we have a podcast and we watch the show every week, uh, a majority of people simply aren't watching, you know, so I kind of feel if they're going to allow people who wouldn't typically be in these situations, be in them, then you're giving them a chance to be in the spotlight without the spotlight. Um, I don't think that certain people should be on TV. <laughs> uh, but when you look at people like uh, Austin Theory, Angel Garza, even Dana Brooks has been there longer than that, but still just these people that we haven't seen being given a chance um, and you see that they're getting a chance now, it, it may be, I don't know, I feel like it's a bittersweet pill to swallow because on one hand I would love for them to make better decisions, but I would also not want to give away a good story or a, potent, a potentially good build-up to a match and not have a crowd there to see it. I feel like it'd be a disservice to the program and the characters involved. So it's really weird to totally hate on the uh, choices that they're making. You know what I'm saying? We see that again later tonight. Yeah, we'll get to tonight's episode of Raw here in a few moments. I actually want to finish covering SmackDown because there's only two other minor things to cover from SmackDown, and I want to get your thoughts on both because both of them have impact going forward, one of which is the Daniel Bryan victory over Cesaro. One of which is the Daniel Bryan victory over Cesaro for the men's Money in the Bank qualifying match here. And Bryan and Cesaro have an absolute gem of a match in 15 minutes. Do you think that given situations here, and we saw a very in-ring heavy product tonight on Raw as well, do you think these longer matches benefit the talent in, the, in this situation, or do you think it hurts the talent in this situation? What do you mean, health-wise or storyline-wise? I mean in terms of connectivity towards the wrestling audience that is still watching the show. So for that, yeah, I figured. Um, I It really depends on the story you're trying to tell. Um, not every story needs a long match. Not every uh, qualifier needs a long match. And if you are going to do that, you're you're doing a disservice to the people who um, had not like Apollo Crews is an example. And I don't want to get too much into it tonight, but um, you just don't care. So if there were somebody else or someone that we hadn't seen or haven't had preconceived notions of nothingness, then we may care um, a lot more but because it's someone that they've already built up to be, I mean, nothing, and then all of a sudden he's having this long-ass match against someone who we've seen just squash opponents for on a weekly basis, like in Alistair Black, um, it just doesn't bode true. So it's really hard to say um, if I have a preference towards the longer matches or not and if it helps the person involved, but I would really say that it depends on the story you're trying to tell. Austin Theory kind of was a little shocking tonight. Okay, I keep going into Raw, but yeah, long story short, it depends on the story you're trying to tell. Um, do you think it's 
a case of them knowing that they have talent that's capable of doing these long matches under these circumstances, such as a Brian and a Cesaro, that they give them a little bit more leeway as compared to the rest of the card. Because Dana and Naomi got a third of the time that Daniel Bryan and Cesaro did. Daniel Bryan and Cesaro was actually the longest match on SmackDown, and it was almost double the length of the second longest. I think it has to do with the pacing of the show. I mean, tonight we saw like 12 matches, or 11 or 12 matches, um, and we're getting long matches from people we shouldn't, uh, I think we shouldn't, but in terms of trusting the, I don't think it's just that. I think that they're trying to fill in gaps. They're trying to make the shows a little longer. I really don't think that these people would be, would be getting this length of a match if everything was normal. I think it has to do with the fact that we're not seeing as many in-ring segments as well, that they're trying to keep the stories that are being told to being told during the course of actual matches rather than having long extended promos. We did open with a promo tonight on Monday Night Raw, but it didn't last more than like five or six minutes. Yeah. Well, they're kind of, I mean, in their mind, they they have to. They have to flip the switch on this because not everybody could cut a promo without an audience. You know, they've been trained to cut it in front of an audience and not act in front of a screen, if that makes sense. So I'm sure that a majority a majority of the talent is afraid to go out and cut a promo. So they have to have in-ring heavy content, which is what I mean by them padding the show and kind of putting in the filler because, A, you do two to three promos, they're all going to come off relatively the same regardless of the content. B, your talent may not be prepared or ready for an empty arena and you know, uh, promo. So this, and, and it creates this new show, if you will, of a bunch of, like I said, we had 11 matches tonight. All of them were, you know, not all of them were long, but it's the fact that we had 11 matches that's kind of telling of the direction they have, they've chosen to go because of Corona. The last thing from SmackDown that I wanted to touch on real quick was the Sheamus and Denzel Desjardins match. First of all, um, Michael Cole could not pronounce Denzel Desjardins' last name. Second of all, the more important thing to come out of this match is it seems to be that they're teasing a promo, a program between Sheamus and Jeff Hardy upon Hardy's return to in-ring content on SmackDown. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I mean, it's better than what we've been seeing from Sheamus this entire time, ever since he returned. I just feel like his return hasn't had the fire that they thought. Or maybe they didn't care. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it. He's Jeff out of trouble at least with someone new. At least he's not beating up Chad Gable on a weekly basis still. <laughs> what was his name? I, I refuse to use that cough yeah, out of a name, to. and you know that. <laughs> I was trying to make you say it. That's not going to happen, Tony. <laughs> Hell no, right. I won't go. Hell no, I won't go. All right, anyway. Let's get to tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. We open with the in-ring attack attempt by Andrade on Drew McIntyre before we get to Angel Garza and McIntyre as your main event. McIntyre very easily handles Andrade, claymoring him not once but twice, once dead center of the ring, once to knock Andrade out of the ring. Way to make your U.S. champion look like a threat. Any thoughts on the opening segment with Andrade's attack? 
and um, McIntyre's I mean, it handling kind of, him. It kind of goes throughout the whole show, not just that segment. Um, the the idea that you know Drew needs to be made Superman uh, that you mentioned earlier that we've seen with pretty much any champion that looks like Drew or Reigns or Cena. You notice they don't put a lot of energy in the Daniel Bryans or Christians or CM Punks in making them look like unbeatable, you know, Superman. But anyways, um, Drew doesn't need to be uh, shown as a Superman, if you will, because we already believe that to be true. So doing this is hurting anyone way more than it's helping anyone. And I, I mean, I'm not saying yep. Drew should be losing, but just the way that tonight was handled is a good example of, like, unnecessary, you know, progression simply to do something that we already either know or believe in. Yeah, I think Drew came off way more sympathetic when he was getting handed the occasional last beating by Brock Lesnar. And in the three-on-one disadvantage, one would think that Le- that uh, McIntyre would catch the occasional last beating out of that situation. Regardless, what did you make of the uh, the other singles matches, the three singles matches from Zelina's crew? Uh, we'll start with the Austin Theory Alistair Black match with the men's Money in the Bank qualification on the line. Uh, this was the first time when Theory got to show like really what he was capable of doing, because prior to this he had uh, you know run of the mill wrestling one on one matches that didn't really, you know, surprise one way or the other. And I'm including the WrestleMania match. This one seems more of a Austin Theory match as opposed to a wrestling match. Um, and him losing was a foregone conclusion. Also, I don't think, um, I don't think he should be winning. So the right result, the right match, and I, I was cool with everything. Apollo Cruz, or excuse me, let's stick on track here. My apologies. Uh, we're going through Zelina's crew here. So Andrade and Akira Tozawa. Hey, King didn't make any racist jokes tonight, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, the the only thing that I took from this match was that Akira Tozawa is the shit. Like, holy shit. <laughs> did he, you or should did he know that from sitting... For a slight second, that just maybe... If he weren't in the Cruiserweight title tournament and way to use one of the guys in the title tournament as an enhancement talent on Raw, bravo on that decision. But if he wasn't in the Cruiserweight title tournament, I could have easily seen him pull off a non-title upset here in order to be set up as the Flavor of the Month challenger for Money in the Bank in the undercard. Yeah. And I would have been okay with it, too, because I actually like Akira Tozawa. You have a longer history with Tozawa than I do going back to your PWG days. But as somebody who's watched Tozawa's growth from uh, Dragon Gate USA on through the American independent scene and then into the WWE, I think Tozawa's one hell of a talent and somebody that has not gotten nearly the opportunity to shine that I feel he deserves. Yeah, I mean, he just, like, I don't think he paused once. Like, it was just, it was a, it was a, a nice little nugget of a match. The main event saw McIntyre take out Angel Garza, as mentioned, in about five minutes with the Claymore kick. I will say that the flip, uh, the Tope Conhilo was nice. That was appreciated. Yeah, well, see, Otherwise, I mean, this is the type of match where, you know, I mean, it was pretty pretty bland and uh-huh. you know, un- uninspired. But 
the right decision was made with the ending, and it was something that, you know, you shouldn't have been shocked about. Again, the only issue that I think we run into is how Drew basically decimated everybody. I mean, Austin Theory, for example, why would he actively stand up and enter the ring and stand up again? Like, it just, you made him look really, really weak and really, really dumb. Clearly, uh, they made Austin Theory look like a dumbass. Because earlier in the show, when Zelina yelled at Theory and Garza to go after Drew after Gar- after Drew took out Andrade, neither of them would step into the ring. But now, when the yeah, playing field's leveled, it. because yeah, now when the playing field's leveled with Andrade thrown over the barricade and Garza haven't already taken a claymore, now suddenly's the time for Austin Theory to attempt to grow a set and step up to McIntyre. Makes no sense. Yeah, none whatsoever. All right. Let's talk the other two qualifying matches since we already discussed the first one. We'll go back to the Apollo Crews MVP match that we briefly touched on. Do you like the fact that MVP is still actively competing, or do you think that he's somebody that would be better served behind the scenes as like an agent or a producer? Well, I said this when he returned. I didn't mind it, and I was actually hoping that he he did have a return. His first match, he like you know was pretty sloppy, and I, I you know you saw everywhere. Well, guess that was his last match. He even said it. His last match was against Ray. So, um, blah blah blah. But no, I I appreciate. I think he still has a role to play in the ring, and I think tonight was a really 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 good example as to what that role is. Um, you know, the things that he was saying, the promos that he was cutting. From his perspective, he's not wrong. Again, an effective heel. Um, he did tangle with the best of them. He did beat Kane. He beat Ray Mysterio. You know, so. Um, the shit talking that he had in the ring tonight and then losing, I think that's exactly what he should be doing, and he does it well. Do you think a match like this helps Apollo Crews? Stipulation aside, the fact that he actually got a chance to showcase his talent in an eight-minute match against MVP and get a victory, get a televised victory, something that he hasn't had a whole lot of in the last couple of years in the company. Yeah, I don't like know, because <laughs> I don't know what's Apollo Crews. Real quick, we talked about how the Alistair Black match exposed him a couple of weeks ago because he went way too long against somebody who was clearly above him on the WWE food chain. Do you think that this was more befitting of where Apollo is on the food chain than a match that could be used to elevate him? No, this is just to fulfill a role. He'll stop mattering again after Money in the Bank. All right. The third and final Money in the Bank qualifying match tonight was Rey Mysterio and Murphy, and I actually thought these two had a really good match, and if Rey isn't actually hurt, which I don't believe he is, but if he isn't actually hurt, then that was one damn fine sell job on the hand by Mysterio tonight. Um, what did you make I, of Rey and Murphy? I, I did not enjoy the first half. I thought that it was kind of uh, formulaic and too choreographed where Buddy's not not 100% used to, you know, acting the way he should. The, from the, you know, everyone does the same spot once you lock up, but they did it in like a fast-forward fashion, and then they just didn't catch their groove until that second half of the match. However, when the second half happened, it was really, really good. And I'm pretty sure Ray, you know, was just doing one of his cell jobs. He's usually pretty good at it. Um... Ray, the win could have gone either way. I mean, I think Murphy would have been the better choice because Ray isn't going to be hurt by losing. 
But it's also Rey Mysterio in a ladder match. Whatever form of ladder match that happens to take concept of at the pay-per-view, that is. Yeah. I think in a, if they're doing them like mini-movie style, I think Ray makes more sense because he's similar to that style having worked with Lucha Underground before. So I think I'm okay with Ray getting the qualification spot a little bit more than I would be if he hadn't worked Lucha Underground and wasn't familiar with that mini-movie style match. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, some quick things to bust through here real quick. Let's get through these. Um, Shayna Baszler over Indy Hartwell. I'm going to be entirely honest with you. I missed the entirety of this match. My stomach was not happy after the dinner that I had. Yo, Indy Hartwell's cute. <laughs> I figured that might be your big takeaway, though, because I've seen Indy before, yeah. and she is a very attractive young lady. Mm-hmm. Baszler breaks yet another arm, yet another person cries. Clearly, Tom Hanks had yeah. to show up at some point. There's no crying in, well, once he gets rid of the Rona. There's no crying in wrestling. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't think it's necessary. We'll talk, we'll talk cuts uh, as soon as we finish Monday Night Raw, if that's cool with you. <laughs> Because they went on quite the streak on Black Wednesday this past week. I mean, we we can. I won't have much to say. Well, there's a couple of people specifically that I want to discuss with you as far as what you think will happen with them. One of whom I think we actually kind of saw an idea of what's going to happen to them tonight, and I'll explain that when we get there. Let's get back to the show here. Ricochet and Cedric pick up a tag team victory over Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne in the NXT duo. You mentioned in your Raw report that the same problem that you had with the Indy, Indy Hartwell match is the same problem you had with this match. It's, um, theoretically good, but the problem is, is that you have no investment in the opponent. Therefore, you have no reason to believe that they're going to win. Yeah. And it kind well, of I takes mean, you out of the match. Even if, yeah. Even if they were to win, like, it's not about believing them whether they win or lose. You just don't care about them. Um, I don't expect, you know how Michael Cole used to do his stupid exposition every time somebody new showed up? He would just say, like, oh, and from this place, and give some some random anecdote that he had to pretend he really knew off the top of his head. Um, well, they don't do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> But they also don't do anything. They just say their names as if you already know who they are and then carry on with the match. There's no story here to be told. So why would we care? And we're not being made to care because these guys aren't going to matter when everything goes back to normal. They probably live in Florida. Indy Hartwell is cute, though. That's your big takeaway from this conversation. That's that's my biggest takeaway from this. This entire show. <laughs> my my saddest takeaway from this show is that Kyrie Sane can't buy a win against Nia Jax. Man, she needs to worry about her neck. This woman just Which came back, to- and I'm already tired of her. You know what? It goes Hold back on. to Let what I said. Harry, Harry, if you if you have a rant build up in your throat right now, you go on ahead. I'm I'm trying to be nice. 
I, I'm I'm really, really trying to be nice here because I kind of teased it in the show preview, but I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to go off the rails. I wasn't going to rant and moan and bitch and complain because I've done that in the past when it comes to at least one of these two women. You know what? They were at least somewhat tolerable when they were kept together because it limited the amount of screen time involved. Yeah, they suck. It's plain and simple. They're awful. Naya's gotten no better in her time off. Tamina has never been good. The only reason Tamina got a job in the first place is because of her famous last name. The only reason Naya has a job is because of her famous family. The problem is, is that does not make for a competent story inside of the ring. I am an in-ring person. I am somebody who enjoys in-ring content when it comes to wrestling, and I am a very big women's wrestling fan. And I don't just mean the looks, although there are some very attractive ladies in the sport of professional wrestling. That being said, I also like my women in wrestling to have at least a modicum of ability once the bell rings for me not to be bored out of my fucking mind. Neither of those two women has any of that, and therefore, I have no interest in seeing them on television, let alone having to deal with both of them on separate nights in the same week now. In closing, go the fuck away. Tony, I feel bad. <laughs> Good for you, man. <laughs> happy 420, Harry. <laughs> Dino, my roommate Dino uh, says happy 420. That was great. That he enjoyed your better. Yeah, good. Glad you let it out. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this. Let's I move mean, on. Okay, so, well, just Nia. Oh, stuff. go ahead. And I, I don't. I if I never see her wrestle again, that's great. And I've said it many times before. I will not try to judge a woman I don't know. I'm not judging her as a person. I just tonight. Okay, so I, I said in the report. You know when Cesaro does the swing. Um, it's almost an art how he drops the person. You know, he leans back, drops him slow, but it looks fast. Um, he slows down by pretending he's dizzy. He does a lot of things that he can to assure that, you know, his opponent is safe. I didn't see that at all. Like, everyone saw the buckle spot, and you can call her out on that. That was obviously and blatantly just careless. But when you look at even the most, like, the more nuanced moves that kind of require you to just slow it down a little bit she didn't do that either and this is all for the sake of looking menacing yeah i mean we've we've watched wrestlers do this for years look like beasts and not hurt anyone and then we see this and it just i mean that's not the type of real realism i'm asking for um i don't need to feel like you're going to kill somebody tony i don't know how much overseas wrestling you watch are you a are you a Japanese fan at all? Which see, um, I mean, don't ask a loaded question like that. I am a fan of Japanese. Are you asking about wrestling? Are you a fan of <laughs> Japanese wrestling? Yes. Are you a fan of no, Pyro Is what I'm asking, Tony. I don't watch nearly enough of it to have a an official opinion about it. Okay, the term that. Americans use to describe the Japanese style, the Japanese strong style, is pararesu, or fighting spirit in the terms of all Japan back in the early 90s into the mid-90s with guys like Kawada, Kabashi, and Misawa. The thing was, is those guys did stuff that looked absolutely vicious, but they were doing their best to take care of each other while throwing out devastating strikes and shots that looked like it would kill me and you. 
Japanese women have the had the opportunity to do the same thing in some of their the All Japan Women's Organization. Um, there was one other major one that I'm unfortunately drawing a blank on right now, where people like Bull Nakano and Akira Hakoto, the names that we saw on in the WWF in the mid to late 90s as well against somebody like Medusa, where their shit looked so vicious, but in reality was as safe as could be. The problem for Nia Jax, in my opinion, is the exact opposite is true for her. None of her stuff looks good, and it's probably painful as fuck. <clears throat> and to me, to just she just looks like she's got a really heavy diaper on. Coming soon to kink.com. Views and opinions of Tony Acero do not necessarily reflect those of us here at the Chairshot Radio Network. You're advised to encourage your own opinions and not listen to what we have to say. All right, let's move on. Uh, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot. Liv picks up a singles victory here, and a story came out today that after Liv returned for the Lana, the Lana angle with the wedding, they had no idea what to do with her. Then why <laughs> fucking do the wedding angle in the first place? <laughs> Probably Lana's idea. Oh, what did you make of the Lashley segments tonight with him flipping a tire and Byron making fun of him for not being able to flip the tire? Really, Byron? You're going to make fun of somebody for being weak? I think I wrote in the report that we've seen Braun Strowman flip an ambulance. We've seen Mark Henry pull a semi-truck. We've seen The Undertaker drag Hulk Hogan with a bike chain. I don't care if Lashley was the tire. You popped me with that 2002 reference. Well played. It was a horrible segment that made zero sense. It's apparently it's about the reuniting of Lashley and Lana or something. I don't know. Fuck it. He said he said no one in this world could lift this tire. How the fuck did it get in there? <laughs> Done. Charlotte and Kaden Carter. Um, Charlotte is annoying. I felt I bad know, for I mean, Kaden I mean, here because she's an NXT champion, right? I'm not saying she should be having like long ass matches with people that are newbies, but you're also not telling any type of story. This was a squash match. I mean, if you're gonna beat the roster of NXT as the NXT champion, these girls should be like. They should hate you, like, or they should respect you, or they should be kissing your ass, you know? And we're seeing none of that. We're just seeing, I'm here to get squashed. I mean, there's there's a million stories you can tell about uh, a seasoned vet coming back to the rookies to, you know, be their champion. You can have that plucky, um, you know, rookie that says things aren't the same as when you were here. We're doing things differently now. You can have this person that's afraid of her spot being taken. You can have the person that's not afraid. There's just so many different things that they could do. But, you know, in true WWE Tom, fashion, they can tell one women's story at a time. Two 
Tom Phillips's credit, he actually did try to mention Caden Carter's backstory here, which actually made the fact that she got squashed in like three minutes a little bit more upsetting because Caden Carter's actually been a regular on NXT TV recently and was involved in the qualification for the women's six-way ladder match to determine the number one contender to the NXT women's title that was supposed to happen at TakeOver Tampa Bay, but instead happened on an episode of NXT TV two weeks ago. Yeah, I know, but even even that, like, I don't like that it was a squash match, but I'm not saying it should have lasted 10 minutes. I, I don't think the match should have happened at all. But what I'm saying is if you do end up squashing her, like, show the girl's frustration. Make a comment about how, you know, like, this is basically a Charlotte bullying her new roster. I don't know, just something other than squash is over, let's move on to the next NXT person that Charlotte's going to beat for no reason. They are kind of setting up a match between Charlotte and Mia Yim, and I do have a little bit of an interest in that. I'll admit to being a Mia fan, so that's part of the reason why I'm interested in it. But current uh, current heel women's NXT champion Charlotte really does nothing for me. It's To me, it's more about who beats her for the title and how long it takes rather than anything Charlotte actually does with the belt. Right. All right, uh, the last thing to discuss from tonight's episode of Raw is Bianca Belair picking up a televised singles victory over Santana Garrett with Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins absolutely losing their shit on commentary. <clears throat> yeah, they were they were horrible. Um, it was, I don't know, for me it really took away from the match. Um, it looked like they took the memo from Asuka and just were loud and obnoxious for no reason. They've been that way, but it, there's been times where it kind of works or it makes sense. This on comp, this was just bad. But what what was worse is Byron Saxton just <laughs> like being Byron Saxton. And what's worse than that is Kings like you can't take his disdain for the street profits as anything but like thinly veiled racism. And I know it's a character. I know he doesn't dislike. <laughs> But it just comes off that way, and it's, it comes off very, very old man, get off my lawn-ish. And it's like, I don't know, man, you're already getting in trouble for calling a moonsault a top ramen moonsault. So <clears throat> maybe you should ramen chill on that. Moonsault, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing there when you mentioned it, when you said that it was thinly veiled racism towards the street profits there. I was going to say at least it's not overt racism like it was last week. <laughs> Um, I think Bianca's going to eventually be an effective mouthpiece for the street, or at least a uh, factor, side piece. That's not the term I'm looking for either here. A valet for the street profits in addition to her in-ring career. Because the segment that they had on Raw where Bianca called them out on their bullshit two weeks ago about the fact that they've never beaten the war, the Viking Raiders, that's the kind of thing that the street profits need in order to be grounded, in order to be set back into some sort of semblance of reality about the fact that these guys have beaten our ass every single time we've been in the ring with them. Maybe we should take this a little bit more seriously. I do not need them yelling and dancing around like a couple of idiots and distracting from the match that's going on inside of the ring. Mm-hmm. I find Montez and Angelo very entertaining together. In doses. This was not the time and place for that dose because the reality of it is is that the 
the verbal smackdown that Bianca laid on them last week should still be resonating with them in that they need to get their shit together if they're going to have any chance of beating the Viking Raiders. Speaking of the Viking Raiders, I can't let this go without talking about it. What the fuck was that carpool karaoke segment? (laughs) I think this was what the Revival was supposed to be doing, and they just gave it to the Viking Raiders. The only thing missing from this was Jim Cor- was Jim Cornette showing up. Goddamn motherfuckers! Yeah, I was not a fan of that Rid- decision. What one could argue that they're trying to give life to the otherwise bland characters that they've become, but it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. It's not ironic. It's not funny. It's just two things that are clashing significantly on my screen. Now we move to the cuts, and I'm going to start with the one that I think was the most pressing as of tonight because they mentioned her multiple times on Raw tonight. I don't think Sarah Logan's going to be on the unemployment line for long. Reports are that a lot of talent went to management and said that Logan was somebody that they really liked having in the locker room, somebody that they didn't feel got a proper opportunity to show what she was capable of. And I do think that when it comes to Bel Air being with the Street Profits, actually full-on giving Logan the Viking character that she was starting to loosely portray a couple of months ago before the Riot Squad reunion would be an opportunity to align her with the Viking Raiders and give them somebody else that they could play off of. That isn't a bullshit carpool karaoke segment. Yeah, this is one of those character choices where you go all the way or you don't go at all. And they just, they're choosing not to go all the way. Um, They haven't put a lot of heart behind the character side of things outside of three name changes. So I don't think adding Logan would really help all that much. But uh, with regards to her, I, the reason why I don't really have much to say about the firings are because I'm sure a majority of them are temporary due to the climate that we're in. And although it was sad, a sad day in wrestling lore, like I do think, No, actually, I hope. I don't think. I hope that this is simply a reaction to the world at large. I do also think that this was a nice way for them to get rid of some fat that they weren't doing anything with and, um, you know, using Corona as not an excuse, but a legitimate reason to get rid of that. So with that being said, some of them will not come back, um, not because there's no heart, but simply because they didn't have a place to begin with. Some of these people didn't want to work there anyway. Um, I was gonna, that's why I don't. I was really going to say. <laughs> I was going to say there's a couple names on that list that really wouldn't have surprised me to see, especially after we saw the revival get cut loose from their contracts. A guy like Mike Kanellis has been wanting out for months. A guy, uh, a, a young lady like Maria has been wanting out for months. Rusev has openly talked about wanting to leave the company in the past. While I think that Rusev is somebody who I would, I really think never got to reach his ceiling in the WWE, it may be better for him to, as Bruce Pritchard would say on something to wrestle, go somewhere else and learn another hold. Go land somewhere else in another one of the promotions, and there are like five major promotions again in the United States. Well, major-ish promotions in the United States with television deals. He could go to them, become the, become a more credible star, and then come back to the company similar to what a Drew McIntyre just did recently, like we saw with his rise to NXT after coming back from Impact and Evolve. Um, the biggest surprise for me were Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. While I think 
both of them have probably reached their ceiling in the WWE. I do feel like both of them were guys that could still stick around and be good hands to have on the roster. And I wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, that once everything clears and we get back to some semblance of normality here in this country, that both of them are brought back to the WWE. Are those two of the people that you would see as probable rehires once everything breaks? Yeah, I mean, um, they, they've been there for a long time. They've, we, one could argue whose fault it is as far as their lack of success or of their success. And, and uh, the, the decision is obvious, but I'm not here to make that decision. Um, uh, I, I think that either a they've hit their ceiling and just you know don't don't really expect too much out of it either, or b they're gonna get their chance when they get it. Um, with that being said, I just I think that those were one of the cuts that they the WWE was like, all right, well we can finally do it now um, <laughs> without a huge outcry from the internet, which of course didn't work because the internet went crazy and rightfully so. Um, all right, then let me ask you this real quick, and then we'll move on from this topic. Who is the one person from the relief list this past Wednesday that you think will be back in the company the, the soonest? Mike Coyote. Oh, poor Coyote. I don't think I don't think Coyote counts. That's not fair. You tell that what to wrestler? Him. What wrestler do you think will be back with the company the soonest out of those released? That's the thing. The list isn't all that um, important for me to even remember who all is on it. Maybe Rusev, but that's assuming that he even wants back. There's a lot of conversations that we don't know have, you know, happened. Um, you know, some employers are telling their employees, like, just take this as a break, or you'd make more on unemployment um, than you would here, or your contract has an out that you could be using. And although the WWE is, you know, the big bad you know, donator to Donald Trump. I mean, it could be completely feasible that those exact conversations happen with certain people. I'm going to take a wait and see approach as far as this goes. I'd like to see Rusev back. I really don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I would not be surprised to see him land in AEW at all, just because I know he has something of a fan base built up. He is something of an internet sensation in terms of the way that he portrays himself through his online presence as well. So I think he would be a good get for AEW. <sighs> I'm going to say the person I think will be back with the company the soonest is going to be Drake Maverick. And I don't just mean that because he still has the NXT Cruiserweight Championship tournament matches to wrestle. I genuinely think that Maverick's a good dude who's going to get a second chance once this all breaks and they have the opportunity for him to go touring again. So no man, he's friends with EC3. I'm, I, I want to say impact for EC3, but with Dixie not there anymore, I don't think the EC3 character has any legs there anymore. So I don't know where EC3 lands. He's he, not one of those work rate guys that you would see in like a Ring of Honor. I don't think he fits in AEW. Maybe the NWA? Yeah, maybe MLW, actually, I think. Maybe. Uh, MLW on being sports, I think, would be a good fit for him. And that's that's armchair quarterbacking 101 from a book from a perf, from a talent relations perspective from yours truly. 
Favorite match or moment of the week, Tony? Um, Indy Hartwell. <laughs> Knew that was coming. I'm going to go with the Daniel Bryan and Cesaro match. I really enjoyed the match on SmackDown. Honorary, uh, honorary second mention to Mysterio and Murphy tonight on Raw because I thought it was really good. Greg Watry. Nia Jax. Tamina's a close second. But just... Ugh. I think being a shitty wrestler does not equate to being an unsafe wrestler. And she's both... The booking of Zelina's stable. Because I already said my piece about Nia and Tamina. Overall show ratings for Raw and SmackDown. SmackDown first. Uh, SmackDown, I'm going to give a 6 out of 10. Um, it wasn't rough. It was just uh, like, you know how Larry's kind of giving a little bit of a pass to these? I, I'm, I'm the opposite in that not that I'm not giving it a pass. I just, I've tweaked my expectations because of it and they still haven't met them. I just think they're, they're coasting right now. Chances are they've, they've, you know, minimized the writing staff too. They probably have a majority of it, um, you know, in house. Cause there's not, I know they have two teams. There's no road for that second team to be on. So we're getting kind of a, kind of a doldrum of, of wrestling entertainment at the time, at the current moment. Well, we did see one of the writers released in the uh, cuts on Black Wednesday, the one who came up with the Otis and Mandy storyline, actually. Right. Because that makes that makes sense. Cut the one who wrote the program that everybody on the internet is loving. The IWC are not Vince's people. What's your score for Raw? Um, this is a tough one. I think there was it's hard for me to say this, but there was too much wrestling. No, that's wrong. There were too many no. matches. There wasn't too much wrestling. Um, and the, I don't know. I'm going to go with 6.5. I'm flipped for those. I think SmackDown was a little bit better than Raw. I agree with the fact that there were too many matches on Raw tonight. I like the amount of entering time. I do think it was spread out too thin, and a lot of the matches were too short to really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. But in fairness, how much of any of this is going to mean anything in the grand scheme of things once things return to something resembling normal? You know, We talked about that earlier as well. Mm-hmm. How many of these people are still going to matter? How many of these storylines are still going to matter? Who's your MVP for the week, Tony? <laughs> um. I could say Indy Hartwell, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who's your actual MVP for the week, Tony? Um, no one really stuck out this week. I guess I'll go with a safe bet and just say Daniel Bryan. I'm going to go with Big E. And not even so much for the triple threat match for the tag titles. The promo that Big E cut before that match on SmackDown, we didn't talk about any of the individual promos because no real reason to focus on them. But the one that Big E cut before that triple threat match that he, where he talked about the fact that this is his chance to show that he's not just an act. He can stand on his own, but he's going to do it for his brothers anyway. 
the fire that Big E came across with. We haven't seen that fire from Big E since his NXT days, in my opinion. Where can people find you online, Tony? 411mania.com. How's TonyAcero.com coming along? Any updates? Oh, no. It's it's under quarantine. (laughs) Much like most of the rest of the internet should be. Hmm. H-E-B the Eagle on Twitter. Occasionally I write for TheChairShot.com. I need to start bringing those reviews back. Although I have to find something to review other than Progress now that he cut the cord for Progress Wrestling on demand. So... I'll figure something out, and I'll let you guys know when I do, and then we'll start getting reviews out to you on a more regular basis again. He's Tony Acero. I'm Harry Broadhurst. This has been The Reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. You've been listening to the Chairshot Radio Network, which you can find online at thechairshot.com. Send us home, Tony. Deuces, bitches. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next week. You have been listening to The Reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. Join us again next Monday night at 11.30 p.m. Eastern as Harry Broadhurst and Tony Acero bring you The Reaction, your weekly breakdown, bi-weekly-ish, depending, hey, quarantine's happened, of both Raw and SmackDown, as well as continuing your preview going towards Money in the Bank. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next week. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.